the tender love a father has, and we're going to be looking at a father's affectionate appeal here. We have our heavenly father is tender towards us, and Paul, being a spiritual father, expresses affection for his spiritual son. Let's turn to the book of Philemon. If you have a pew Bible, you find it on page 1830. We read it one last time. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to, to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And here begins our text at the 17th verse. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Are you a forgiven person? And consequently, are you a forgiving 
person. Peter came to Jesus with a question. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? What was Jesus' response, children? I do not say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. And then Jesus went on to tell a parable about a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. A man was brought to him who owed him a debt that he was not able to pay. And so the master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had so that some payment could be made. In desperation, the servant fell before the master and pleaded for patience. Being moved with compassion, the master released him and forgave him the debt. However, that forgiven servant went out and found a fellow servant who owed him a small sum. He grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe. The fellow servant also fell down and begged for patience. But the forgiven servant showed no compassion. Instead, he threw the servant into prison. When others saw what the forgiven servant had done, they went and told the master. The master promptly summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? In his anger, the master delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Jesus then concluded, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You see, forgiveness is essential in the Christian life. Those who have been forgiven by Christ must be forgiving through Christ. Central to Paul's letter to Philemon is this message of forgiveness. Today, from verses 17 to 25, we consider once again a father's affectionate appeal. Last week we saw from verses 8 to 16 that Paul's plea to Philemon was made in love. He did not command him as an apostle, but he appealed to him as a brother. We also saw that Paul's plea was based upon the renewed character of Onesimus. In a prison cell in Rome, he was born again. He became Paul's spiritual son. He who was once unprofitable to Philemon became profitable. Having been set free from sin, Onesimus was a changed man, ready and willing to serve the Lord. Then we also saw that Paul's plea for Onesimus brought to mind the providential purpose of God. Paul said to Philemon, perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. Philemon may have been taken advantage of, but Paul called him to consider the greater purposes of God in this event. God is able to take an evil situation and use it for the good of his people. Onesimus may have acted with sinful intentions, but God meant it for good in order to bring him into his church, his family, his kingdom. 
Now today, as we conclude this brief letter, we continue to focus our attention on Paul's affectionate appeal for Onesimus. I would have you notice four things in regard to this plea. Number one, it modeled a sacrificial spirit. Number two, it recalled a significant debt. Number three, it assumed a selfless response. Number four, it added a substantial endorsement. First of all, Paul's plea for Onesimus modeled a sacrificial spirit. Notice that Paul not only called upon Philemon to do certain things for Onesimus, he himself was prepared to sacrifice for the sake of this converted slave. In verses 17 and 18, there are two things that Paul was willing to sacrifice. First of all, as much as he loved Philemon, he was willing to sacrifice his friendship with him, if necessary, for the sake of Onesimus. Look what he says in verse 17. Please follow along in your Bible at verse 17. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. In other words, if Philemon does not receive Onesimus, the implication is that perhaps he does not count Paul as a partner. Philemon's acceptance or rejection of Onesimus is directly related to his acceptance or rejection of the apostle himself. If you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Paul was willing to put himself in a position where his own partnership with Philemon was put to the test. He identified with Onesimus as though they were one flesh. Philemon was to receive him as though he were receiving Paul himself. Anything less than complete forgiveness could jeopardize their close friendship. And certainly that was not Paul's desire whatsoever. He didn't want to have a rift between himself and Philemon, but Paul was so certain of the genuine conversion of this slave and of his having been received of God that he was willing to sacrifice even his own friendship with Philemon, if necessary, for his sake. The second thing that Paul was willing to sacrifice for the sake of this converted slave was his own material resources. You see that? His own material resources. Go to verse 18. Paul says, but if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Charge it to me. It's almost as though Paul anticipated an objection. But Paul, how can I receive him as I would receive you when he has wronged me? When Onesimus fled to Rome, some commentators think that perhaps he had stolen money or other possessions from Philemon to finance his trip. He was not yet a Christian, and he needed money or valuables to get to Rome. Being a servant in Philemon's household, he probably knew where to get them. Now, brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches the, the necessity of restitution in such cases, right? We read, for example, in Numbers chapter 5, that when a man or a woman commits any sin and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin that he has done. He shall make restitution for this trespass in full value plus one-fifth of it and give it to the one he has wronged. 
Restitution is both biblical and reasonable. When you've stolen something, you must pay it back. And according to Numbers 5, you should add one-fifth to it. The scriptures hold people accountable for their actions. When you steal, you must pay back with interest. Then, the next time, you will, you will think twice before you consider taking something that's not yours. It would have been perfectly fair for Philemon to demand restitution. If Onesimus had stolen, he ought to repay the debt. But Paul knew very well that Onesimus could not possibly repay Philemon. It's not likely that he found a good job in Rome. If he had stolen money, it was probably spent on his travels and living expenses. He needed food to survive. It's not likely that he had much or anything left. And therefore, Paul, with his characteristic spirit of self-sacrifice, said, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Whatever he owes, I'm willing to pay it. Just charge it to my account. Although Paul was in prison, apparently he still had sufficient financial resources to be able to pay the debt of Onesimus. His offer was not empty words. If Philemon demanded restitution, which was his right, then Paul was both willing and able to cover the debt. We read in verse 19, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay. Here's my signature as proof that I will reimburse you for all the trouble that this may have caused you. My own signature is the guarantee of my genuine offer. If he owes you anything, put it on my account, I will repay. That, brothers and sisters, is a spirit of self-sacrifice. Now, let's pause here for just a moment to consider. Does this not provide us with a beautiful picture of the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Onesimus had perhaps offended and wronged his master. You and I have certainly offended and wronged our heavenly master. Onesimus stood in need of reconciliation. So you also stand in need of reconciliation. As Onesimus was unable to pay his debt, so you are unable to pay your staggering debt. As Paul offered to pay the necessary price to bring about reconciliation, so Jesus Christ offered to pay the necessary price to bring about your reconciliation. In love for God's children, Jesus said, Father, I will pay their debt. They have wronged you, and they owe you, but I will repay. I will repay. How did he repay? How did he cancel your debt? The Apostle Peter said, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus made the payment for you with his own blood, his very own blood. The prophet Isaiah spoke of the payment of your debt when he said, he has borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Your debt, your debt is not a mere monetary or material one. For every single sin you commit, there is a debt to pay. Every single sin is an offense to God. Your sin bends you from the master's house. It separates you from his favor. Your sin provokes the master's righteous wrath. But Jesus said, Father, charge it to me. Let your anger and wrath fall upon me. I will pay, for they cannot. Jesus was not only willing, but he also had the resources. As the sinless son of God, he hung from the cross to cancel your debt, a debt that you could never pay even after spending a million years in hell. He, by his suffering and death, was able to pardon and release you so that you can be reconciled to your master in heaven. Through his payment, the master's house stands open to you and you can enter not as a debtor, not as a servant, but as a son. Jesus said to the father, I will pay their debt. Congregation, hear this. Never is a person more like Jesus than when he does what he can to bring about reconciliation by means of his own self-sacrifice. Never is a person more like Jesus than when he does what he can to bring about reconciliation by means of his own self-sacrifice. Paul's plea for Onesimus modeled a sacrificial spirit because he understood what Christ had done for him. He had taken all his debts and nailed them to the cross. Christ had secured reconciliation with his Father. Paul's willingness to pay the temporal consequences of the sin of Onesimus reflects Christ's willingness to pay the eternal consequences of your sin. Having understood the payment of his own debt, Paul was more than happy to pay the temporal debt of a repentant brother. Congregation, have you understood the payment of your debt? Have you understood the payment of your debt? Have you understood what Jesus endured so that you may have access to the master's house and reconciliation, friendship with the master? If you have, that you should also begin to demonstrate that spirit of self-sacrifice to your brother or sister in the body of Christ. Paul's affectionate appeal for Onesimus modeled a sacrificial spirit and reflected the mind, heart, and will of Christ. Then as we continue in verse 19, we see that Paul's plea for Onesimus also recalled a significant debt, point number two. It recalled a significant debt. Look again at verse 19. 
I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. You owe me your very self. In a gentle manner, Paul reminded Philemon that he too had an outstanding debt. He owed Paul his very life. Paul had shared the gospel with him, which the Holy Spirit used to lead him to salvation. Philemon therefore owed Paul a debt that he could never pay. His eternal life had been secured through the ministry of the apostle. Had the word never been opened to him, Philemon would have traveled the broad road leading to hell. He would have continued in paganism until he perished eternally. His deliverance came through the faithful preaching of Paul. Thus Philemon owed him an unpayable debt. You see, congregation, with this short parenthetical statement of verse 19, Paul is showing that Philemon's debt is really not so different from the debt of Onesimus. Onesimus owed Philemon a material temporal debt. Philemon owed Paul a spiritual and eternal debt. Having led Philemon to Christ is a debt that Philemon could never repay. So Paul's appeal for Onesimus is made with this gentle reminder. Remember, Philemon, where you came from. Remember your past. Remember God's rich grace to you. Remember that you also have an outstanding debt. Brothers and sisters, shouldn't we bear this principle in mind as well? All of us have had certain people in our lives through which we have received immense spiritual blessings. It may be godly parents who have taught you the scriptures, led you to Christ, and discipled, disciplined you. It may be godly grandparents who set before you a model of Christian devotion. It may be a teacher who called you to faith and repentance. It may be a friend who supported you and encouraged you. It may be an elder who ministered to you and challenged you to greater obedience. It may be a fellow church member who gave you a shoulder to lean upon. All of us can think of someone that God placed in our life through whom we have experienced great spiritual blessings. We are indebted to these people, aren't we? We're indebted to these people. We owe much to them. We can never truly repay them for the blessings that they have brought to our life. Then congregation, when someone sins against you and incurs a debt, you ought to remember that we are indebted to so many. There are those to whom we owe our very self those who have led us to eternal life. We who are such great debtors should willingly and gladly forgive those who have sinned against us. So, Paul's appeal modeled a sacrificial spirit, point number one. And Paul's appeal recalled a significant debt, point number two. Philemon was himself a debtor. Then thirdly, from verses 20 to 22, we observe that Paul's affectionate appeal assumed a selfless response. It assumed a selfless 
response. Have a look at verses 20 and 21. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Verse 21, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul had high expectations of Philemon. His past record had shown him to be a compassionate Christian who loved God's people. Back in verse 7, Paul said that the hearts of the saints had been refreshed by him. He had ministered to their deepest needs and brought rich spiritual encouragement. And now in verse 20, Paul says, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. He had brought joy and refreshment to others. Now he had an opportunity to bring joy and refreshment to Paul, to whom he owed even his very self. If Philemon forgave Onesimus, Paul would be spiritually blessed. Perhaps you remember from a previous message that the word translated there, refreshed, in verses 7 and 20 is the same word that Jesus used when he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will give you peace of mind and heart. Come to me, and you will be refreshed. By forgiving Onesimus, Philemon would bring Paul the refreshment of Christ, that peace of mind and heart that comes from knowing Christ and doing his will. Paul is very confident that he will receive this joy and refreshment. He says as much in verse 21, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you. If he had little confidence in Philemon, he would have had a tough time writing this letter in the first place. But knowing Philemon's godly character, he is confident that his obedience to Christ will prevail. In fact, Paul believes that he will do even more than he asks. Perhaps Philemon will even welcome him with open arms. The parable of the lost son. The father saw him coming when he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion on him. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father held a great feast, because his rebellious, wayward son had returned to his house repentant. Could it be that Philemon would react that way when he heard the account of Onesimus? Would he too fall upon his neck, embrace him, and hold a great feast in honor of the marvelous work of God in the heart of Onesimus? Perhaps he would say, this my servant was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What a beautiful reception that would be for Onesimus and what a testimony it would be to the church at Colossae. 
Brothers, come celebrate with us, for my servant has been resurrected from the dead. Pass from death to life. Come, let us worship and give thanks to his name. We don't know how Philemon reacted, what he said or did to Onesimus, but we are certainly left with the impression that the result was positive. Paul was confident that Philemon would do even more than he asked. He was so sure of Philemon that he said this. Look to verse 22. Verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Paul believed that soon he would be released from prison. And when he was released, he planned to make a trip to Colossae to visit them. He believed that Philemon would not disappoint his hopes. A personal visit to Philemon's home would confirm his expectations. Of course, the very mention of this visit to Colossae would also be incentive to Philemon to see to it that all was resolved before Paul came. As one commentator said, I quote, There is a gentle compulsion in this mention of a personal visit to Colossae. The apostle would thus be able to see for himself that Philemon had not disappointed his expectations, end quote. You know what it's like when someone comes to visit you? You want to make sure that everything's in order? Philemon would have an awkward visit with Paul if this matter was not yet resolved. And so you could see that Paul's appeal for Onesimus was made with high expectations. It assumed a selfless response. Paul expected that his heart would be refreshed. He anticipated that Philemon would be obedient to Christ and that Philemon would do even more than he said. He assumed that all would be resolved when he came to visit them. In the meantime, he expected that Philemon and the believers at Colossae were praying for his release. His release from prison. You can only have such high expectations when you trust the character of a godly, proven man. Philemon was such a man. So we have seen that Paul's affectionate appeal, number one, modeled a sacrificial spirit. Number two, recalled a significant debt. Number three, it assumed a selfless response. Then fourthly, we note that Paul's fatherly appeal for Onesimus also added a substantial endorsement. It also added a substantial endorsement. Paul closed the letter by sending greetings from five men who were known to Philemon. By doing so, Paul was reminding him of his accountability to each of them. If Philemon chose not to forgive Onesimus, he would not only bring disappointment to Paul, but he would also bring displeasure to these five godly acquaintances. Let's have a quick look at these five men. First of all, we read in verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Epaphras was a member of the Colossian church and apparently one of its spiritual leaders. You can read of that in the fourth chapter of Colossians. Since he was part of the Colossian church, he was well known to Philemon. 
In Colossians 1.7, he is described as our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. In Colossians 4.12, he is described as one who labored fervently in prayer out of genuine concern for the flock of God. Here, in verse 23, he is called a fellow prisoner. Now, it's not certain whether he was actually in prison with Paul or if he was closely identified with Paul in prison. In any case, he was a faithful, godly servant of the Lord, well known to Philemon. Epaphras. The second man who is mentioned in verse 24 is Mark. This is the same Mark, John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, the author of the second gospel. This is the same Mark who was the cause of the painful separation between Paul and Barnabas. On Paul's first missionary journey, you recall that Mark had deserted him. And therefore, Paul refused to take him on the second journey. This led to that sharp contention between Paul and Barnabas, and consequently, they parted ways. It's an encouragement to see that by this time, Mark has been reconciled with Paul so that Paul even speaks of him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 as being useful to me for ministry. Useful to me for ministry. Over time, presumably, Mark had come to greater spiritual maturity so that now we find him in the company of Paul at his prison cell in Rome. Fractures can be healed by the grace of God. The third man, verse 24, who, was sent, who sent his greetings to Philemon was Aristarchus. Aristarchus was a Jewish believer from Thessalonica. He had accompanied Paul on some of his journeys. He was present at the riot in Ephesus. He also experienced a shipwreck with Paul. And now we find him in Rome with the apostle Aristarchus. The fourth man to send greetings in verse 24 is Demas. Now, we don't know very much about Demas, but what we do know is very, very sad. In verse 24, he's called one of Paul's fellow workers. He assisted him in gospel ministry. However, in later years, this man would prove to be a huge, massive disappointment. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 10, Paul wrote these tragic words, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. What does Scripture say about those who love this present world? It says if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Demas later fell into apostasy, and that is the last we hear of him. How careful we need to be, congregation, to be steadfast in the work of the Lord, straining and reaching for the prize. Don't rest on your laurels. Don't think that your present labors are a guarantee of future faithfulness. You need to diligently press on, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Then the fifth man to send greetings in verse 24 is Luke. Luke is known as the beloved physician, 
the author of the third gospel as well as the book of Acts. He was a Gentile Christian doctor and a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Dr. Luke was a faithful friend of Paul who remained with him till his final days. Now, isn't it interesting, brothers and sisters, isn't it interesting to find Mark and Luke together with Paul in Rome? Three authors of sizable portions of the New Testament. What amazing fellowship those three men must have had together discussing the person, work, and glory of Christ. Would you have loved to be able to sit in and, and listen to those discussions between these three inspired writers of Scripture? That would be amazing, fascinating. Well, congregation, you could see that Paul's appeal for Onesimus came with a substantial endorsement. Demas later became apostate, but at this time they are all called Paul's fellow workers. All five of them were well known to Philemon. He was therefore not only accountable to Paul for his treatment of Onesimus, but he was also accountable to Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, as well as Timothy, who is mentioned in verse 1. It would be well not impossible to reject a request from such godly, zealous, compassionate servants of the Lord. Nevertheless, Paul was well aware that forgiveness and reconciliation are not natural to us. Sometimes even Christians struggle with forgiveness. You ever struggle with forgiveness? It isn't always easy. Knowing this, Paul concluded this brief letter with the assurance of divine assistance. The assurance of divine assistance. Please notice the words of verse 25. Let's have a look. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There was no doubt that Philemon had to forgive Onesimus. Where would he find the strength to do so? Where would the church find the strength to receive him? And where can you find strength to forgive your brother or sister? Only through the grace of Jesus Christ. Philemon had been saved by grace, and now he must live by grace. It is natural for the flesh to seek vengeance and retaliation. But through an understanding of the grace of God and the strength provided by His grace, Philemon could fully forgive him and receive him into his home and church. Through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, his own debts had been fully paid. His own transgressions were wiped away. His sins were reckoned to the account of Christ. Dear friends, do you know that grace of Christ in your life? Have your debts been paid? Can you say with the hymn writer, Sing, O oh, sing of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. Is that your confession? Have your transgressions been wiped away? Have your sins been reckoned to the account of Christ? 
The only way to be reconciled with your master is in heaven is through the payment of your debt. Only by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ can you enter the presence of your master. And then, by that same grace through which you are saved, you are able to live with a forgiving spirit toward those who have sinned against you. May God grant you that forgiving spirit as you contemplate His unfathomable grace. Congregation, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Lord, it is difficult for us to even fathom that our Lord Jesus took our debt, that it was laid on his account, that he suffered the punishment for it, that we can now sing of our Redeemer. On the cross, he sealed my pardon paid the debt and made me free. Lord, knowing that our debt has been canceled through Jesus Christ, mold us and shape us so that we would be eager to reach out to those who have sinned against us, to reach out with compassion and love showing mercy to others even as we have received mercy through Jesus Christ. Lord, there's much that we can and should learn from this little letter to Philemon. We pray that it would shape us more and more in our interaction with each other so that, Lord, we would be eager to receive one another in love, recognizing the staggering debt that has been canceled because of Christ. So, Lord, receive our praises as we conclude this service. We do pray, Lord, that each and every person here would know what it means to have their debt canceled, forgiven, taken away. That each and every one of us here would find our hope in Jesus, the only Savior. In his name we pray, amen.